0: We are in a series called "Run to Grace." And here's the problem: by nature, we run away from the things that can help us. Um, we often, uh, especially when it comes to spiritual things, we often run exactly the opposite direction that we're supposed to, and we make really bad choices for ourselves. Um, the scripture's full of stories about that to teach us. One of them's Jonah. We've been studying the book of Jonah, and I'm going to give you a quick review of that in a few minutes. But uh, chapter 2 of Jonah that we're going to study today is, is a great picture of repentance. Um, here's the challenge that probably all of you have experienced. If you have any history of church life, if you have any sort of uh, upbringing in the church, or you've spent time with people that are church people, people that call themselves Christians, uh, we use the term here a lot, I use the term a lot called Christ followers. Um, but if you call yourself a Christian, there are people who say they're Christians, but their life looks nothing like it should. And uh, the problem with that is, they may not have genuinely repented, um, and there may not be a genuine repentance, it may be a surface thing. Well, today we're going to see some real good uh, understanding in Jonah chapter 2 of how genuine repentance works. And uh, you'll see that real clear, the neat thing is... Um, grace, is, and Brandon taught on this just the other night, grace is never-ending. We sang about it in, in the songs today. Uh, there's this place called the cross where He pays for all of our sins and He lets us um, experience grace even when we fail, which is Jonah chapter 2. Uh, anybody know, just off the top of your head, where Jonah is in chapter 2, where exactly his physical presence is? He's in the belly of a great fish. <laughs> Because he disobeyed God, and uh, God was showing him, we actually said last time, there is grace when you're disobedient, but it may include discipline, and the love of God includes discipline. And uh, so Jonah's got to go through a disciplinary time now to to get repentant, get his heart right. That's what chapter 2 is going to teach us. At some level, we should be able to put your picture up here and have your friends gather and say, now you know, he or she says she's a Christian, real or fake, and let them decide, you know, and give you a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Our life should testify of the experience that we've had with Jesus Christ. Some of you are brand new Christians, and uh, you just became Christians, a couple of you, uh, just a few weeks ago, um, just this last week, a couple of you here in the auditorium with me today. Some of us have led you to Christ. So your new faith would not have a history to, to help us determine that. But some of us have been Christians a very long time, and we've served Christ and known Christ a long time, and we're supposed to live out our faith in a way that makes it possible for us to prove that evidence. And so today I just want you to see in Jonah chapter 2 what true repentance looks like. Quick review, so uh, for, for those of you who haven't been here with us in our series, we looked in Jonah chapter 1, and we saw where uh, Jonah... Uh, was given instructions by God in Jonah 1. Jonah 1 verse 1, So the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Jonah 1 verse 3 says, But Jonah rose to flee from the Lord. And so uh, what we learned in, in that is God asked Jonah to serve. God asked Jonah Hey, will you go serve these people in Nineveh and tell them about me? That's really what he's supposed to be doing, is going to warn them that God's going to judge them for the things they're doing. And uh, Jonah said, not a chance. We've talked about that. In our You can look this up online and listen to the series, but there's some reasons that make mental sense to us as to why Jonah would do that. But it's still a bad choice to choose to run from God instead of go with God. And uh, so Jonah has kind of rebelled against that. He just disobeyed. And he, in, in actuality of the geography, he went almost exactly the wrong direction. God sent him to Nineveh. If we want to put a, hold up a map here and say, Nineveh is this way, Jonah ran that way. And he just ran completely away from God. Jonah was supposed to go to Nineveh, which was a big capital city with a whole lot of sinful, um, non-Christian, non-God-serving people. And uh, instead, he decided to go to a place... Um, called Tarshish, which is like a resort island, be, be like uh, the Caribbean or the Hawaiian Islands. Um, it, it was just a way easier lifestyle. So Jonah chose easy over hard, and uh, he chose disobedience over obedience to God. And he even chose uh, ultimately to, to spiritually just completely go the opposite direction of God. And so, so we see that, and, and we learned from Jonah chapter one. The truth is, the Bible says all of us have wicked hearts and sinful hearts. We all have a tendency to run uh, from the one who wants to make our lives more meaningful and valuable. Then the second week when we studied it, we looked at the unintended consequences. I think that was the big word that Brother Warren was trying to help me remember that I said during uh, that second sermon. But there was unintended consequences that Jonah had to his disobedience. And we we studied several principles. I'm just going to list a couple of them for you. They're not in your notes. But it's, uh, running from God has multiple layers of consequences. When you disobey God, you live in sin. There's just layers of consequences. Sometimes you can predict them, but sometimes you can't. And uh, Jonah didn't know that his disobedience was going to cost a whole bunch of sailors all of their wealth. They had put all this stuff on their ship to, to take it to Tarshish, and they were going to get paid when they got to Tarshish. Well, when the storm hits in Jonah chapter 1, they throw everything overboard. And uh, they lose their, their income over Jonah's disobedience, and they had nothing to do with his disobedience. So sin and running from God, we also said, should be confessed to God. We talked about what it means to confess our sins. And uh, when you confess your sins rather than ignore them, God can help you. And then sin never escapes God's notice. We learned that. And we learned that God uses multiple sources to reveal our sins. He's constantly using different sources to reveal our sins. Um, I got a... Um, a speeding ticket back in November again, and uh, <laughs> um, headed to the deer camp. Is one of those afternoons where I just had enough time to get up there and get in the stand just a little before dark, and and uh, it was, I, I, I almost didn't have enough time, honestly, and uh, which was my mistake, my fault. You know, I let my schedule get pushed, and and I thought, man, if I hurry, I can get there. Well, I hurried, and uh, I got a little pause on the way. Thank you. Got a little pause on the way, and uh, a little state trooper. I came over a hill out of Citronelle. And uh, I'd actually set my cruise control at 60, so I would not hurry. But, you know, you can help your cruise control with that right pedal on the floor. So I was helping my pedal a little bit go down the hill. And coming down that hill, I got a little over 70. And uh, it was a 55 zone. And, And sure enough, coming over the other hill, blue lights come flashing on. And I just immediately pulled over. I'm like, yeah, I'm done. And so I got this ticket. Well, you know, I'm smart enough to know I just need to pay the ticket. Just pay the ticket and be done with it. So the minute it's all done online now and all registered online. And so, so, um, you know, he, he, he gave me a electronic copy of the deal. I called the next day and found out, you know, the whole system, um, where, you know, where to send the money, how to get it done and, uh, took care of it that fast, took care of it online. I'm done. Okay. That way my lovely wife not have to worry about this ticket that, you know, I got and nobody has to know. Except Washington County, which is still in the archaic past, doesn't have a computer system that works that way. They still mail out a handwritten notice to you that you, and say, thanks for stopping by. You know, don't forget you owe us the money for your ticket. So I get a text from my wife one afternoon sitting in my office with a picture of this postcard that the, that the state troopers in Washington County sent me. And the postcard is my ticket. And that's a little picture of my ticket. She's like, did you speed? I'm like, well, no, they just give that to you out for fun when you're driving through. What do you think? You know, I'm like, dog. But sin always has a way of being revealed. I was trying so hard just to get that past me and be done with it. You know, nobody has to worry about it and we'll be good. And no, 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 they got to send a picture to my mailbox. And let, make sure my wife knows so she can tell me how our insurance is going to go up and all that good stuff. So, <laughs> but sin has a way of, of exposing itself and finding out. Now, God uses multiple sources to reveal that, including the state trooper office in Washington County. But exposing our sin, this is the one we finished on last time, before we had the missionaries last week. Exposing our sin is an act of God's love. When he does that, he's proving his love to you. Because nothing good comes from disobedience and sin. Ever. And so when He's trying to when He's showing your sin out of you, when He's revealing it to you and maybe to those around you so it can be dealt with, He's literally trying to help you and uh, expose that to you. So um, sin has a lot of consequences, and God doesn't want us to go through that, so He exposes our sin out of love. Now, in chapter, at the end of chapter one, verse 17, Jonah 1, verse 17, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, it says, And the Lord God appointed a great fish. "...to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights." Now, that was because Jonah had been thrown overboard on the ship. The storm calmed down. The sailors actually prayed to Jehovah God to, to pray to Him and honor Him and worship Him. They prayed to, to the God who made the heavens and the earth, as they say. And uh, they didn't want the hand of God to be uh, angry with them for throwing a prophet overboard. And so, when God found Jonah in the ocean... He had several choices. Jonah was disobedient. Could have just let him sink and drown and uh, Jonah would have been a child of God so he would have been taken up to heaven but God God really wanted Jonah to be obedient. So he had him swallowed by this great fish and uh, now we have Jonah chapter 2 which is just 10 verses long and uh, I'm going to read those to you and you just listen as Jonah is in the belly of the fish there's two things he has to wrestle with. He has to wrestle with who is who am I and who is God? Who am I and who is God? It's two of the biggest questions there are. Jonah has to settle those issues. <laughs> Riding around in the belly of a great fish, he has to settle those issues and figure all that out. Two, two key questions. And then he had to figure out whoever God is, do I trust him or do I trust myself more? And uh, so this is a lesson about grace and God correcting his children. Um, I call it um, grace to those who disobey. Jonah chapter 2 verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God uh, from the stomach of the fish... And he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depths of Sheol. You heard my voice for you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the currents engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayers came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed I will pay... Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up on dry land, uh, by the way, in Nineveh, in, uh, near the town of Nineveh. So the fish was on the way to Nineveh and gave Jonah a ride there, even though he didn't plan on going there at all. So let me give you five truths that help us understand repentance. The first one is repentance, true repentance, just involves acknowledging who God truly is with a confession and a change. It involves acknowledging who God is, confessing that, and being willing to make changes in your life because of who God is. Now, if you just look at this on the screen for a minute, there's a lot of people who will do the first one, and even the second one. They'll confess God, they'll acknowledge God, but they will not make changes in their life. And that's where repentance gets fuzzy for people, is because when change isn't made, there can be problems for that. And I just want you to see a couple of things in the, in the first part of this chapter. First of all, Jonah calls for help with a prayer. And I love this. He says, I called out for help to God and he answered me. He answered me. So Jonah learned, even after he had been disobedient, very disobedient, he could call on God for help and he would answer him. We call that in uh, Bible terms, it's just called grace. Even when you're wrong, even when you've sinned, you can call out to God for help and He will answer you. And uh, Jonah's finally turning to God rather than turning away from God now, and he starts that with a prayer. And in his prayer, he figures out God is the Lord of all things. Now he told the sailors, I worship and serve the Lord God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all the land. That's the God I worship. So Jonah understood that concept, but now he's been in the ocean, now he's in the belly of a fish, and he's calling out to God for help, and there is a connection that happens with him where he figures out God is sovereign of all. And I want to tell you how I know that. It's, I'm not just guessing at what Jonah's thinking here. Um, I want you to just look at all these words, and we'll just put that whole next one up. Because Jonah's figuring out who God is, and he's sovereign. Now look at look at these phrases from the text. You cast me into the deep. Your breakers and billows. That was God's water that did that. I am expelled, he says, from your sight. Um, your holy temple is where I'm going to look to. You brought me up out of the deep. Salvation is from you, the Lord. You understand what he's saying? I get you were the whole thing. You, you were, you, 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 you were pursuing me, 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 me. That's what Jonah figured out is that everything revolved around God being in charge of all the activities and all the details. And I tell people all the time when they're talking to me about they're searching for God and they're looking for God and trying to figure all this out, I eventually say, do you think you're doing this by yourself? Or do you think maybe God is actually searching you out and exposing himself to you so you'll reach out to him? Because when you figure out sovereignty that God's in charge of every single millisecond of every single day. There's not a time in your life that God's not in charge of. There's not a place you've ever been that God did, wasn't in control of. And when you figure out the sovereignty of God, you can learn how to live under God's leadership. Now, and that's the first step of true repentance: is to go, God, you know what? You're in charge of all of this. You got this. And uh, and and you kind of kind of like the old Disney movie: it's great big God, little bitty you. You know. This great big God, little bit—he's in charge of everything, and he's got all of the sovereignty of all of the world under his control. He's—he's he's ruling every second of every day. He understands everything that happened, and that's what Jonah says. When you truly repent, you understand who God is, and you have to give God His right place in all of creation. Um, he's the sovereign and the holy one who rules and reigns over everything, over everything. Um, you say, well, you know, there were some really bad things that happened, uh, like the Holocaust. That was a really bad thing. Um, yes. Was God still ruling and reigning over that? Yes. Um, God ruled and reigned over His own Son's death. When Jesus died on the cross, God wasn't not in charge of that moment. He was actually fully in charge of that moment because it paid for all our sins. And the Bible says all things work together for good, to those who love God. So even the bad things that we can't explain, I can't explain them to you. Nobody in here can. The Bible says His ways are higher than our ways. But even the bad things, God says He has a way of making them for our good and His glory one day. And one day we'll figure all that out. I promise there'll be classes in heaven. I don't know if they'll use smart boards or how that'll work, but there'll be classes in heaven where God's going to say, hey, here's exactly how all the rough things that you thought were bad things or maybe not even my things were my th- I was controlling and guiding and leading you to all this stuff. And so part of Jonah's repentance as he's in a very miserable place. You understand the belly of a great fish cannot be a happy place. I and mean, there's no comfort there. He's just got to be miserable. The smell the sound that his ears in the popping in the water as the fish goes up all that stuff's got to just be killing him and here he is calling out to God and he says and God answered me from there And and then he realized you know what this is all you your fish your water your billows your weeds that wrapped around my head your call in my life your everything and I messed up that's really where Jonah is so truth number two repentance is personal And it means you have to have a real personal encounter with God. It's not ethereal, it's not distant. When people are repentant before God, they really have a one-on-one encounter with God. And God gets very real to them in that genuine repentance. Now, people can have an experience with God that's distant, or that's sort of, you know, everybody experienced that, and we're just going to call that a God thing. But it wasn't personal to them. Jonah's is very personal, and I just you can look back at those personal pronouns that we put up there, you had them in your notes. The personal pronouns where he says, you, 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 you. And then he uses his own personal pronoun. I, you know, will sacrifice unto the Lord. I will. Jonah's using a lot of personal pronouns because it's very personal. And this is important. God sees every one of you in this room and me as an individual. God sees you as an individual. It's hard for me to imagine that. There's so many people on the planet. But God cares about every individual one. It actually says in the Bible that he numbers the hairs on your head. Not very hard for me. Really not hard for Ronnie. Okay, But the rest of... Some of you, it's very hard to keep all those numbers in your head. God numbers the hairs on your head. That's how special you are to Him. That's how detailed and how big a God He is and how sovereign He is. That's how sovereign He is. He cares about those little details that He keeps up with those numbers on your head. By the way, the numbers on, of hair on your head change every day. You know, for some of us, every hour. <laughs> You know, And mine just go down all the time. But the truth is, if God cares about that, he's a personal God. And Jonah figured out in his repentance, God was a very personal God. And that's why it says in the beginning, my prayers came to you, and you answered my prayers. So not only do you need to have a personal encounter with him where you see who God is, you have to have a personal encounter where you know who you are. I don't deserve for God to answer my prayers. Nobody in this room, nobody in this room has the right to demand or even ask God to answer your prayers. Did you know that? God is not beholding to any one of you. I don't know if you've ever figured this out. This is, it's a little mind blowing when you really, if you'll really meditate on this this week. God owes you nothing, nothing. Um, He is beholding to you for nothing. He's not like counting on you for anything, and He doesn't have to have you around at all. He doesn't. What He chose to do from the beginning of time is to love those that He created. Adam and Eve and all those like them. He chose to love us individually. He chose to number the hairs on our head, and he He chooses... To, to give you a life of joy and happiness and kids around you and all the fun we had this morning with the songs. He chooses to give us good churches and good families. Those are magnificent gifts that God gives us. But he doesn't have to. It's not out of a... He's obligated to that. It's just because of his immense love, which the kids learned about all week long. They had Their, their memory verse was 1 John 4, 8. I think, you know, the God is love verse. That was part of their memory verse. But God has to love us, and so when you repent before God, you have to recognize who God is, but you also have to just know who you are. Uh, None of us are worthy. None of us um, deserve what God gave us, and so by grace, He gives us help. Um, You have to see yourself as a sinner and disobedient. I remind you all the time, we are all sinners saved by grace. There's not a person in this room that's not a sinner, and the truth is we all have to acknowledge that, and it's okay to acknowledge it. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.9 and 10 says, There's none righteous. No, not one. Not one person in this room can live your righteousness before God and say, Hey, God, I deserve heaven now. I deserve a little favor from you. God goes, No, never going to be close. But if you'll trust in my son and his death on the cross, once you put your trust in him, his righteousness covers all your sins. That's why we talked about this last or two weeks ago. If I confess my sins, first John 1 9, if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to uh, forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. How much unrighteousness does God cleanse you of? Say it out loud. Say it like you mean it. How much unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. If I confess my sins before God and trust in Him as my Savior, I'm cleansed of all unrighteousness. And that's an amazing truth, isn't it? Well, Jonah's figuring all that out. That he, he's figured out God's sovereignty. He's figured out his sinfulness and that he is not a righteous one, but he has struggled. And so he begins his repentance now. And repentance involves sacrifice. And Jonah realizes, if that's who God is, and that's who I am, I need to sacrifice to him. So he says, verse nine, I will sacrifice. I will sacrifice to God. And I'll just remind you today, life's not supposed to be about you. You weren't created by God for you. You were created for Him to bring Him glory. And so your life is supposed to not be about you, but about God and what you can do for God and how God can use you. And I watched this week. In a just marvelous moment at our church, I watched God use a whole bunch of you just to bless a bunch of children and let them have a great time and a lot of laughter and singing and joy and great snacks, real creative snacks that uh, Claudia did and some wonderful games that were out in the gym with with uh, uh, Kurt and uh, Justin and, and Tyler and others who were out there helping them. I just watched all this creativity happen in the mission story times and all that. And I said, you know what? God's using... God's using us because we're sacrificing. Most of you that helped were here every night this week. Every night this week. When Kathy came in the door a little while ago, she goes, I feel like I live here now. And I go, hey, I know the feel. (laughs) I feel like I live here now. Yep, we all do. We all live here. And it does feel that way when you're here five nights a week. It does. Uh, when you're here regularly serving, it feels like this is home, and I'm just going to go visit that little house that I bought and stop by for a little while. But I'll be right back here. Doesn't it feel that way sometimes, John. I feel like you just—I'm going to stop by the house and get stuff, and you know, then I'll go to my place where I sleep sometimes. But the truth is, the truth is, when you repent before God, you should sacrifice and make your life not about you anymore, but about Him because of what He did. He says, "I will pay what I vowed." And what what he vowed was to follow God. Jonah was a prophet of God that had vowed, I will listen to your words and I will follow you. I'll do what you say. Just like most of us have as Christians. And so his sacrifice has to be to go to Nineveh. Now every time you repent of something in your life, or every time you try to get right with God, you should just follow through with that. This is a struggle for us as Americans. We are so... Uh, fast food oriented and, and one thing to the next and, and uh, hyperactivity and ADHD oriented that we kind of hop and skip through life and we skip over stuff. I, I know people that literally come to church and you get convicted about something in your life and you go, you know, I need to make a change in that. But by the time you have lunch at, you know, Cracker Barrel or Golden Corral or Pizza Hut or, you know, wherever you went for lunch, all that's done. You know, that was church. Tick-tock, one tick on the clock. That was church, and I got this other stuff going on. Well, the truth is your spiritual relationship with God is supposed to carry through everything you do. And that's what Jonah's understanding, that his repentance is a sacrifice, and it means a change in his life. It means he has to do what he said. God, I will now do what I said, and I will go and pay my vow to you, which is to go to Nineveh. Um, and so repentance... This is not in your notes, but I'd love for you to write this down. Repentance means you turn and you change. Really, for Jonah, it's 180 degrees. It's 180 degrees. For all of us, most of us, we're going the wrong way. And when God calls us to repent, the, the Greek word does mean to turn and go the other way. Um, you should repent and do what you say. For Jonah, he had to geographically... Now, his great fish did that for him. Geographically turned him around and said, No, nope, we're not going to the resort island, buddy going back to Nineveh, where you belong. And so the great fish geographically turned him, but you know what he had to do in his heart? He had to turn around in his heart and say, I will now spiritually pay that which I owe you and sacrifice to you because you're God and I'm very small. I don't deserve all the goodness you've given me, so I'm literally going to repent now and go the other way. Um, And he has to make changes. And this is the part where, as Christians... We can get kind of tussled with each other and go, you know, I haven't really seen a change in your life since you repented. Sometimes changes take, take time. Sometimes they're very hard for certain Christians. They're going through a difficult time. Their change has to happen over uh, seasons of their life, one or two years to get some big changes. But for most of us, by the way, you're supposed to be making changes to the point that, and I'll just give you the illustration from the Old Testament or from the New Testament. The Apostle Paul went into the, to the town of Corinth. And he preached and he established a little church there. Church, church at Corinth. Eighteen months later, eighteen months, year and a half, he writes them a letter back. And, and the letter, we studied this for years, a couple of three years of our church life. I went through Corinthians with you, a, b- a verse at a time. But the letter is eighteen months from the time he led them to their faith. And in that letter, only eighteen months later, he's frustrated that they haven't grown up in their faith. And he's saying, y'all are baby. In chapter 3, he says, you're just baby Christians. You're acting like babies. When you should be able to take the meat of the Word, you're just drinking milk. When you should be able to serve and stop fighting over stupid stuff, in chapter 5, 6, and 7, and 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13, even the love chapters, all about this infighting that's going on with the Christians at the Corinthian church, Paul's saying, what is wrong with y'all? You've had 18 months to change and grow up. So I'm saying, if you've been a Christian for 18 months, it should be all done. <laughs> okay, not perfect, but you definitely should be grown up now. And the issues that you wrestle with that are infighting and not unifying in a body, the issues should be past us. And we work at that at our church. We, When we have conflict, we try to work through that, make sure everybody's growing in the right place. But repentance involves sacrifice and change change. It means you literally have to listen to God and say, God, you don't want me to do that. I'm not doing it anymore. Done. You want me to do this? Okay. I don't even like that, but I'm going to do it. Some of you know this, but my least favorite thing to do is speak in front of people. It's one of my least favorite things to do on the planet, speak in front of people. I would so much rather be sitting there taking notes about, you know, some bald fat guy that's up there talking. I would much rather be doing that than standing here doing this. But God called me to this, and so I have to go, you know what? I gotta change. I gotta figure out how to, you know, my first speech classes in high school, I just threw up every time. Every time I got in front of people, I'd go, excuse me, off the stage I'd go. Couldn't get past that. I had to figure all that out, you know? Then I had to figure out how not to look like I'm just freaked out on the inside by everybody looking this way. That's all something God had to change in me. When we sacrifice to God, He will help us make those changes. Truth number four, his repentance involves thanksgiving. Paul is, or John, Jonah is very thankful for what God's done for him. And I want to tell you that we're supposed to... The, the idea behind thankfulness, there's two concepts in the Scripture that are crystal clear. We're supposed to be thankful for everything we have and in every circumstance we have. Um, so I'm thankful for the... Even if it's a trial. I'm thankful for the trial, and I'm thankful in the trial. And some people try to separate those. and goes, well, I'm not going to be thankful for... If, if God gives me, let's just, you know, pick the, the worst one, the, call it the sea monster. God gives me cancer. How am I going to be thankful for cancer? The Bible says we should give thanks for all things. And we should give thanks in all things. So in the trial and for the thing, I am to be thankful. That's just biblical truth. When we do that, we're actually acknowledging God is the sovereign Lord of all. We're saying, hey, I don't know why you did this. Wish it wouldn't have been me. But I do know this, you're still God, and I'm still not in charge of all this, you are, so I'm going to be thankful for what choices you've made. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances. We heard this statement, uh, Larry and Mary and I and Annette and uh, some of their friends, when we were at, uh, Miss Helen was there when we were at um, Gatlinburg, Ann Voskamp, one of my favorite writers on the planet, um, aholyexperience.com if you need a good good morning website devotional they'll just charge your batteries aholyexperience.com um, she's one of my favorite blog people besides my son of course um, but she makes this statement called the, and she says the hard things are for our good the good things are forever and the best things are forthcoming and she says so when you go through a hard thing you just need to give thanks to God because it's gonna be for your good, that's what the Bible says. And then when God gives you something good, you give thanks for that, because good things are forever. They last forever. And she says, and then you gotta remember that the best things are forthcoming. If you're a Christ follower that's truly following Christ today and serving God and believe that Jesus paid for your sins on the cross, where are you gonna spend eternity? Say it out loud. Where? We, we end up in heaven. Now, who's in heaven with us? Just say it out loud. Who? Jesus Christ is in heaven with you. You're going to live with God for all eternity. So the best things are forthcoming. There's no more sickness, no more sadness, no more sorrow, no more suffering in heaven. None. This is the one that blows my mind. uh, James and I were talking about this the other day in my office. You'll, You'll never be sad again when you get to heaven. Ever, 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 ever be sad again. That's a hard concept for me to think of. What it's like to never, ever be sad again. But in heaven, there's no more sadness. The best things are forthcoming, the hard things that are for our good, the good things are forever, and the best things are forthcoming. That's just the truth. And Jonah understands he's going to be thankful when he's repent, truly repentant, he learns to get thankfulness into his repentance. And then the last truth I want you to get is uh, Repentance is just pure grace. When we can go to God and say, You're God, I'm not, I messed up. True repentance is that God's grace comes even to those who willingly disobey. I get that. God's grace comes even to those who disobey. Everybody in this room is a disobedient person before God. We're not all perfect Christians. Well, a couple of you might be close. (laughs) But most of us aren't even close. We're still trying to get there. We're still trying to get there. And God has grace for that. The fish was grace. Jonah could have just drowned. The fish was grace. Amen? You understand? God said, you know what? I really want you to go to Nineveh. No kidding. Big fish swallows him. We're going to Nineveh. The fish was grace. So there's a grace moment there. The time inside the fish. Three days, three nights. That was grace. That was time to reflect. Time for Jonah to get his brain around great big God, little big Jonah. Time for God to help Jonah see the reality of his foolishness of not following God. When you don't follow God, bad things can happen. And by the way, Nineveh is going to suffer if you don't follow God. There's going to be a lot of other unintended consequences. And God says the best thing that can happen to any one of us is to be following Him in the center of His will, just doing what He asks, that's the greatest thing that will ever happen to you. Even if it means preaching in front of people when you'd rather not. It's the greatest thing that ever happened. I've never regretted the decision at this altar to give my life fully to God and try to figure out how to to preach and teach and lead a church. I've never regretted that. I've panicked over it numerous times. Okay? But I've never regretted that. So Jonah is, is shown grace because of a fish... And then he has literally shown grace because he had time to reflect. Back in 1993, a uh, long story, but I'll, so I'll just tell you the, the end of it. Um, I ended up breaking my leg in three places uh, on a sea dew and ended up in the hospital for a week. Never been on the inside of bed rails, by the way. My whole life i visited a lot of people in the hospital. Just never laid down in the bed and looked up at everybody looking at you. Uh, but I did that for five, six whole days um, while they did orthopedic surgery and put steel plates and screws and all kinds of stuff and attached my foot back to my ankle. Um, and, uh, and then I spent 16 weeks at home because the doctor said my ankle has to be over my heart for 16 weeks. Keep your ankle above your heart for 16 weeks. And uh, you know what that was for me? Grace. Very painful grace. Time to reflect. I had gotten too busy in ministry. I'd been doing too many things. I'd neglected my family, which was all a little stair step. My three children were all little stair steps at home, being homeschooled. And I was blowing in and out of the doors, going to work 6 o'clock in the morning, coming home at 8, 30, 9 o'clock at night, just helping maybe tuck them in bed if I got there in time. And uh, I was running a church that was having all kinds of issues, and I was covering all kinds of holes, had my fingers in all the dike holes, as they used to say. Man, you just fill up all the holes. I'm like, yeah, about to kill me. But I felt like I was serving God. And God went, nope, don't need you to fill those holes up anymore. Your family's more important. Snap. <laughs> and now I'm in the hospital, and I've got time to reflect. Lots of time to reflect. Um, for a guy like me that likes to go 100 miles an hour all the time, four, 16 weeks is forever. The five days in the hospital I thought was in, in turn I didn't think I'd ever get out of there. But then I've got to lay at home, lay down at home. For sixteen weeks. It was insane for me to wrestle through all that. But it was exactly what that I needed. I needed grace. I needed grace to reflect. Time to reflect. Sometimes God puts us in timeouts to help us reflect. Sometimes sometimes God traps you in a job or a situation where you have to be stuck there till you figure it all out. That's what God did here. And then lastly, the second chance was grace. The second chance God gave him was grace. Jonah gets another shot at this. And he's actually going to say, Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. <laughs> Chance number two. Try. Let's try this again, Jonah. Go to Nineveh. And God gives every one of you second and third, fourth chances. If you need a good story behind that, by the way, Larry and Mary's house have a plaque on the front of their porch that says second chances. I think his truck has a... Um, it's a receiver on the back, isn't it? It says second chance. Mr. Crocker made him a receiver. It says second chances. Because Larry's testimony is that God gives second chances. By the, by the way, every one of you gets a second chance, not because you deserve it, but just because he loves us that much. So I want us to learn to give thanks for God's grace and his discipline. When God disciplines us, Jonah chapter 2, he's in, a, he's in a great fish. That's discipline. But it's a place where grace comes clear to him and he goes, Oh, yeah. I know who you are. <laughs> Ooh, I know who I am. And I need to make some changes. I need to repent. So let's bow our heads together. I want you to just, with your heads bowed, would you give thanks to God for your uh, grace timeouts that He gives you, for your uh, great fish moments. If he's, if he's put you in some hard circumstances to get your attention, would you, with your head bowed right now, just tell God thanks for... Be impatient with me. Would you do the same thing Jonah did and say, Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repent and follow you. I'm not going to run from you anymore. Let me pray for all of us. God, I would ask now that um, you would give us a chance to be the men and women we're supposed to be for you. Christ followers. Lord, I pray anybody here that doesn't know you as personal Lord and Savior, that they would come under conviction of their sin now and um, you would help us share the gospel with them richly in the next few minutes. We thank you that uh, even when we're disobedient, you chase us down with your grace and you run after us to help us. We'll count on you to always be loving, gentle, not condemning of us. We we, We know you paid for our sins. So we, we, we receive no condemnation from you, but just the blessing of knowing that you're pursuing us in love. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.